0: contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt.
1: Hey, welcome back to another edition of the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. You're going to love this. Joe Bear and I taking you behind the curtain inside what really happens. Free agency, getting ready, dealing with agents, negotiating contracts. Who's going to get paid? Who's not? What's going to happen with Romo and Peterson and Jamal Charles and Jay Cutler and all these free agents? What's going to happen with Kirk Cousins and that big tag? Is he going to get traded to San Francisco? We go through it all. A big deep dive as we chop it up. Speaking of chop it up, first a word from Blue Apron. I use it for recipe deliveries. It's great menus. They're easy to prepare. It's affordable. Less than 10 per person per meal. Delivers seasonal recipes, pre-portioned ingredients. You can make them easy. You customize it based on your preferences. They have several delivery options, and each meal, step by step, easy to follow recipe card, pre-portioned ingredients. It all takes less than 40 minutes. So check it out. This week's menu. You get the first three meals free, free with free shipping. You go to blueapron.com/brand. My name, all caps, B-R-A-N-D-T. You'll love how good it tastes, how good it feels. You create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. Don't wait. That's BlueApron.com slash Brant. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. On to Joe Banner, free agency, and the start of the NFL new league year. You know, your experience getting ready for the new year league year and free agency is probably different than mine because, as everyone knows, the Packers were not an active team. We kind of sat on our hands, at least through the early portion of free agency. That was just the mindset, the philosophy, draft and develop and maybe pick at some free agents a few days into it. That's Actually, that's what happened with Woodson and since then, Peppers and Jared Cook. Eagles, and maybe your Brown experience too, I know you guys have and are still, at least at the Eagles, very active. So take me behind the scenes of sort of where you were in preparing, getting ready, modeling out things as you prepare for the new league year and free agency.
0: Well... You know, we were selectively engaged. I mean, a couple of times we made some very big splashes, and one year we signed Javon and technically traded for Terrell Owens, although we sort of viewed it as a free agent signing. And the years we did absolutely nothing. So, you know, starting way back during the season, you know, you've got a whole group of people in what you call your pro personnel department that are evaluating every single guy in great detail. And obviously you, you do what we call advanced scouting on teams that you're playing, uh, so that usually gives you about 12 teams that you've got a number of opinions on from coaches to player personnel guys in great detail, but every single guy. So that's where it starts. I mean, I don't care what you do. It can be free agents. It can be the draft. it can claiming somebody on waivers. If you're not getting the evaluation right, you're in trouble. Um, so we spent a lot of time and a lot of people and frankly, a lot of money on staff and experience, uh, to try to make sure we are getting the right grades on people. And then you know we were uh, we really believed the right the way to build a team was the draft, but we had this other vehicle, this other mm-hmm. potential asset. Uh, and if we could manage our cap well, we could take advantage of both. So we looked for opportunities. Occasionally, it was just a very you know fill-in you know third linebacker kind of guy that are you know <laughs> back when we're making you know a million and a half bucks, and the time went on, making four or five, they're making eight or nine now. Um, and times was a big, you know, we, we went three straight championship games and we couldn't get over the hurdle. So we decided to go all in on free agency and we signed Javon Curtis and we signed uh, Terrell. And, uh, you know, we did get to the Super Bowl the next year, but we still, you know, didn't win it. So our philosophy wasn't as different as uh, from yours as it may have looked, but we just felt like it was a tool, you know, we should be prepared to take advantage of if we could and we were managing the cap ball for the rest of the roster.
1: Now, in terms of pre, you know, in this case, March 9th, but the every time of the year we talk about the combine is kind of the unofficial start of the league year, a lot of meetings. And now we have this kind of legal tampering period. Do you, do you think the run-up um, has changed over the years and, and in preparing for this, do agents feel they have a better read on teams going in now with this period that we're in now versus the past?
0: Well, things have certainly changed. I'm yeah, sure you remember, too. We used to have players come in for visits. Right. And the big deal was trying to convince the agent to give you the first visit. So, you know, if you really liked them and the visit went great, you try to not let them leave the building. Well, yeah, you hotbox them. Gone. Right. So that's a, that's a faint memory now. I mean, you're signing guys on, you know, some research you've done, which is suspect because at that point, who's telling you the truth? and there's some, you know, leap of faith in the whole thing, and you're relying on, you know, all the way back to college reports and, you know, rumors and reputations. You know, here's what's really interesting to me, and I've got to tell you, I'm completely shocked by this. Um, whatever anybody may want to admit who's still working in the league, I mean, these conversations of free agencies to begin pretty early, and even as recently as last year, you know, certainly by the time you got to the combine, it was full free agent work and conversation, almost as if it wasn't against the rules. Right. But, you know, last year they hit the Chiefs with a major penalty. Right. And I was still really skeptical that that would matter. But I have to tell you, in talking to teams and agencies this year, there was certainly 20 conversations in Indy. But they didn't go as far. They weren't as conclusive uh, as what's been happening in the past. There was actually more caution and a little bit more respect for, you know, I consider it an oxymoron to call it legal tampering, but – you know, whatever, we want to call this three days here, there was a little bit more respect for this than there has been for any previous, you know, rules or guidelines. So the the goal of the league was to send a strong message and see if they couldn't uh, alter this a little bit. I'm actually surprised to say it has worked a little bit. It's not clean. It's not like everybody's playing exactly by the rules, but there's a little more sense of being careful than there was until that happened.
1: Yeah. And I think you're talking about a player that we both know very well and Jeremy Macklin. And that's, you know, that's your sense of the Chiefs being dinged for that because we know these conversations happen. The league knows they happen. Do you think that was a message? Do you think something happened beyond, I guess, the norm with Andy Reid or whoever it was with the player? And It would seem to me there would have to be a lot of documentation for that to happen.
0: Yeah, well, as you and I know, the League has been looking for an opportunity to send a message on this. But, you know, no one was really turning anybody in or giving them enough information that they could do an investigation. I don't really have any idea what led to them being in the position or knowing what they knew that ended up being true about the extent to which the uh, Chiefs may have had conversations that were illegal, at least the league deemed that, and then penalized them. So I think the league's been in a position for a long time that if they could catch somebody, they were going to use it to send a message to hopefully do what at least seems to have partially worked here in terms of slowing down the train on just how early or how far along these conversations were getting uh, before they were supposed to. And i got to tell you, even after the penalty happened, I didn't really think it would matter. Yeah, but as I've talked to some agents and a number of teams. Everybody's being a lot more careful about how many and when they're having conversations and how far they're going with the conversation. So, means today has been an incredibly busy day, burning up the phone lines, uh, which is always somewhat true since they put this in, but it's even more true today than it uh, has been. And you know, so, and I think the
1: one advantage for players, it's it's one a big one with this legal tampering period is now they can make deals. I mean, without actually signing them and they can know what's behind door number two and go back to their team. Cause I I, I don't think there's a better time for leverage of pending free agents than the next 48 hours because these players are going back to their teams. I would think and saying, all right, this is where we are and, and make a deal or not.
0: By the way, not only their teams, but I mean, I was talking to an agent today, he's representing a player, he had three teams, really had more than three teams, but pretty quickly could dismiss a couple of teams, it was down to three teams. And he was calling the teams up and he was just simply saying, I got three teams. Right. You're all about the same. Just, I'm not giving you a counter. Send me your best offer. Now, you know, if you're, if you're a team, that's the last position you want to be in, because you're just completely bidding in the dark. Um, this was a player that well, was not going to go back to his team, but the uh, agents beautifully playing, you know, how to maximize, you know, what, what's truly the best number I can get, which, you know, when you make a counter, you limit a little bit, if you know, your business, you're probably taking the small list, but when you can just say, Hey, there's three of you that really want this guy, you're all in about the same range, send me your best offer. And then we're going to make a decision. You know, you're going to flush out the best deal if you do that, and that's really the goal that an agent should have. Flush out, here are your options, and here's the best deal you're going to
1: get. Yeah, I mean, let's get into sort of the the money, because I think you and I have a little bit of a different feeling about how much is spent. I totally believe, as you do, players like the one you're just talking about are going to hit it big. My problem with free agency is that you're going to have these – pick a number 10, 15, 20, 25 lucky golden ticket winners. And then I think the teams retreat and then everyone's looking for bargains. And then it's a game of musical chairs. So I I agree with you. It's going to be robust, but I think it's like every year it's robust for 48 hours and 20 guys. And then it's hardly robust.
0: Well, listen, the word is, is very relative. I mean, we've had a backup defensive tackle who has some questions about him, sign a deal for five and a half million bucks. We already had that happen. Who's that? In Tampa Bay. Uh, the name's slipping my mind at the moment. But they re-signed. Um, he started, I think, the last eight games of last year. He was still only playing about halftime. But before that, for three and a half years, it never started. Okay. So... It's not a situation like at least it was portrayed years ago in baseball where the stars were getting, you know, massive contracts and, and everybody else was kind of getting whacked. I mean, you're going to see solid starting defensive tackles that are going to get 10 or $11 million. You're going to see number 2 wide receivers that are going to get $12 million, maybe $13 million. So... There is a a much bigger trickle-down effect than we would have uh, seen years ago in baseball, for example. I didn't follow it so closely. At least it was portrayed in baseball. Right. Um, So, you know, you're absolutely right. We're not going to see more than a group of, you know, mega deals. We are going to see a lot of players who are going to make a lot more money than the comparable guy did, you know, four years ago. And frankly, as you just mentioned, by the nature of the moment we're in, if they're smart and they have good agents, they're gonna be able to leverage contracts that at least increase the chance that they play longer into the deal. Right. You know, nothing assures that other than guarantees, but there are ways to structure the contracts and some of the agents are starting to do it that increase the chances of that happening. So, you know, if I was leveraging signing guy right now, I'd be leveraging as much, you know, how long into the contract am I secure he's gonna get as I would be the, you know, dollars and cents, although obviously you're trying to do both.
1: I totally agree and I think things that, you know, people focus on are obviously the the big numbers that are a lot of illusory dollars later in the deal. I think exactly what you said, if a guy's got leverage, use it to get third-year guarantees, use it to get uh non-offset guarantees, use it for security as much as numbers. But it brings up the whole idea, you know, this sort of game that teams and agents play like will let you tell the media you have an $80 million contract because it's good for your recruiting. I mean, do you think that really goes on as much as I've seen it? I mean, has that changed in your mind? Because some of this is just a game.
0: Well, some of it is, but a few media people have started to call people on what's the real deal or what's the real value of the deal. I mean, you and I, they used to literally make up the numbers or at least dramatically exaggerate the numbers and then they wouldn't come out for three days. And at that point, no one's covering it anymore. Right. Now you, now you and a, I. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody in the league knows and all the agents know, but you kind of created a public perception. That it wasn't reality. Um, so, you know, you do have to. Uh, um, now you got a couple of people that are holding people to the fire and actually printing what the real deal is. And actually when the deal happens, they say things like, well, we'll get the real numbers to you in the next day or two. Um, so I think that's brought a little more honesty into it. But there's no doubt there are still people that add, you know, a 58 or really a 4 year deal for no other purpose than making the deal look bigger uh, or sometimes smaller um, in, in order to uh, serve other agendas, whether it's, you know, getting the number you told the player you could get or using it to recruit, um, whatever it may be. There's no doubt that some of that still goes on and when the contract gets submitted to the league has that in it.
1: And speaking of that, I mean, I admit, and I want you to admit, I was party to that. <laughs> I would get close to a deal and the agent would say, well, can I, you know, can I put it out as X? And I'm like, you can put it out as ever you ever you want if we can make this deal.
0: So, so I admit to being party to that. Yes, I not only admit being party of that, but I'll tell you something many years ago when I was still developing my negotiating skills and asking a lot of people opinions about things. You know, somebody gave me a great piece of advice. They said, if you're going to negotiate with somebody that you may negotiate again with, no matter what, at the end of the deal, make them feel like they won. Right. And so for me, letting the deal look like whatever the agent wanted to look like had no impact on me whatsoever and as a way to make him feel like he won. And hopefully set the right tone for the
1: next time we're going to negotiate. Yeah, I'll echo that because you and I lived in this world and still do, which is very small. You deal with the same people over and over again. And I learned the hard way, Joe. I was got to Green Bay, young, young guy doing contracts. I'm like, I'm going to prove some wins. I'm going to show people. And I regret that because those deals come back to haunt you. So I learned exactly what you said, and uh, I learned it the hard way. Uh,
0: listen, I have a reputation that follows me to <laughs> this day for the exact same reason. I mean, over time, um, I was not that way, but I was so powerfully that way in my earliest years that that reputation sticks with me to this day as if I didn't kind of learn the lesson that I learned and approach the negotiations differently. Not just the perception, but in reality on the deal. I mean, the difference between winning a deal and just getting a solid deal is small enough that it doesn't really affect the team. There's no reason to create the animosity uh, with somebody you're going to negotiate with again over that small amount of money. And I didn't act that way when I first started doing contracts. I actually don't think most people do, but I learned that lesson after a point where my reputation was solidified, and, you know, that's, that's not a healthy thing. Right.
1: Let's get to a couple of players on the market. One, and you and I have some differences on, even though a lot of it we agree on, the biggest name in terms of franchise tag, uh, Kirk Cousins and the Redskins, now in year two of a tag, $24 million. This year, $20 million. Last year, I've written and said that despite the big one-year numbers, he doesn't have the leverage that people say he does. And I know I'm taking a, a counterintuitive position. And I say it because the tag limits him to negotiating with one team, that he's not a true free agent where he would have that leverage. And that the Redskins have and continue to negotiate at whatever level they want, not worried about him saying no, because uh, they have the tag as the backstop. But you have some other
0: feelings about Kirk, so go ahead. Well, my, I think my, the root of the disagreement we have is really just all of the timing. What you just said about the years in which he's tagged, uh, I, don't, I don't disagree with. The difference for me is if I'm looking at uh, representing a player or I am the player, Mm -hmm. uh, what I'm really focused on is over the course of my career um, while still treating this like this is a sport that I love and I want to play on a team that can win, how do I maximize how much money I leave the league with at the end of my career? Whenever that may be. Right. So for me, if you take a young player whose tag numbers are higher than what would they reasonably expect to make on the average of a deal in free agency, then getting tagged actually is likely to increase their overall earnings from their career. So I think that applies to Cousins, where I don't think a year ago, if he was uh, realistic, he's likely to get a $20 million per year deal. He may have made more money in that year, but I don't think he would have got a deal that averaged 20, and I don't think he'd get a deal this year that averages 24. So if he takes these two years and ends up playing on the tag, he makes 44 over 2, and he's still young enough to go get a blockbuster contract with a huge signing ball, especially at that position. And I think there are other examples like that. I mean, Tramon Johnson, Trumaine Johnson. Right, right. No, now over two years, he's going to end up averaging fifteen five, which makes him the highest-paid corner in the league. I don't think anybody thinks he's the best corner in the league. And at the end of those two years, he's going to be in a position to get a, another large contract with a huge signing bonus at the end of the two years. So I think there's a limited number of examples. I generally think tags are bad for players. And in any given year, I still think a tag is bad for players, even the examples I'm giving you. But if I'm trying to maximize... Uh, my earnings over my career, if I'm young, and I'm top tier, um, and I'm going to get a tag that's higher than the average, I probably would have gotten free agency, it's likely to increase how much money I get in my career. Now, obviously, the exception is if I had an injury that was either career-ending or so severe, it dramatically impacted my value in the marketplace. But truthfully, and we did this when I was back in Philadelphia, even though I used this argument, as I'm sure you did with agents, to get them to kind of do a deal for fear that what if the player gets hurt? Sure. The number of examples where a player has such a serious injury uh, and then dramatically affects his contract or never plays again are minuscule. So you're playing dramatically good odds, taking the chance that that's not going to happen. Listen, Jeffrey this year got suspended. The year before, he had a number of injuries. He missed eight out of 16 games. And he's going to get a big contract this year, but yeah. it's not going to be as big as what the tag would have been if, they've ta- if they had tagged him. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, Pouncey tore his ACL and came back it, as a free agent and got a huge contract without even going back to practice or playing a game after the ACL injury. So it's not just do you get hurt, it's do you get hurt and does it then have a major impact? on your contract value. that's a right. really, really rare situation.
1: well, I guess the the yeah, I think we're saying the same thing on cousins. I would just say this, what do we really what and I've been very critical of the Redskins over the years, even though I grew up a diehard fan, is what did we expect them to do because they're negotiating at what I'm told is like a 16 million level last year. Mm -hmm. Even the true free agent quarterback, Osweiler, you know, he got like 17. And, of course, Cousins looks at the tag and says he wants 20. So they weren't going to pay 20, which is really paying 60 guaranteed or something to that level. Uh, So they tag him. Now Cousins is emboldened with this new tag. They're not going to pay that. So the question is – what, what could they have done differently? Everyone says they've mishandled the situation. I mean, if they went up to 17.5, 18 last year, would Cousins have taken it? I don't know.
0: Well, as I hear the same thing. They were offering in the 16-ish range. And, again, we're, we're not in the room, so it's always dangerous. Right. But the belief was that he would take a deal in the 19 to 20 range with like 40 really fully guaranteed. So here's my attitude, you paid him 20 for one year, he's a quarterback, for 20 more, you buy a five year or at least a four year option, and you're gonna get the ability to have an offset against that 20. So maybe you're risking 12, eight, you know, you tell me, but it's not anywhere near 20, it's well below 20. So I'm really risking 12 million bucks that I could end up eating if he goes out and busts and then has to sign with somebody else as a backup quarterback. And in return for that, I'm basically buying a four or five year option. Now even if he's just pretty good and not good enough that I want to keep him, he has major trade value at that point, in which case I got that option for free because the team I trade him to is now paying him all of that. So in my mind and with speculating that something in an 18 to 20 range with a 40-ish real guarantee and maybe a 60, 65 you know, sort of guarantee mm-hmm. would have got the deal done. Instead, I'm paying them 44 for two years, and I still have no future years. So, And by the way, I understand, and I agree with the evaluation, by the way. Their evaluation was, and I think may still did, he's a good quarterback, we can win with him, but he's not a great quarterback, and he's not the guy that you win because of. Right. So I understand why they're sitting there going, well, we don't want to pay this guy. But you and I both know $20 million right now is the low end of a starting quarterback that's been through free agency. 18 or 19 is, is you know, that, there's nothing really less than that for a quarterback that's gone through free agency. Quarterbacks that are making less than that are still on their rookie deals. So I hold the opinion that, The risk of signing them to a long-term deal last year and giving them, say, 40 fully guaranteed, or even 45, because they're paying 44 now, and maybe 60 or 65, and you know other types of guarantees, was really a fairly minimal risk as long as you have an offset in there, and you've bought a lot of years on a potential good starting quarterback for a pretty minimal price. And if you trade him, by the way, he has some trade value even. Then you've bought those extra years for free. If he has no trade value and you've got to cut him and you sign him with somebody else as a backup and you're going to get some offset, then you have paid some cost. I'm going to estimate it's 12, maybe 13 million bucks for the four year option to have controlled his rights. So when I think they made a mistake in not doing this last year, that's my thinking behind that comment. Yeah,
1: and I think it goes back to what we're both saying and what everyone in Washington kind of knows now, which is they don't value him. At that level. They like him as their starting quarterback. They want to date him. They just don't want to marry him. Now, what's the plan? Is the plan Colt McCoy at some point? Is the plan draft a young guy this week? I mean, this year and and play him next year? I mean, they must have a plan, right? Because next year you're looking at either a 28 tag or whatever it is. I do think think this, and I, I want your opinion on this, We hear about trade and Shanahan, and a trade would would require a a huge draft compensation and b a huge contract. I don't see it. You know, I I just don't see it. Shanahan's been linked to ten quarterbacks. You know, know, Cousins is one of them, but I don't think they start John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan giving away multiple picks and a huge contract to Kirk Cousins.
0: I'm not sure. I can tell you this, I wouldn't do it, but I think of Kirk as being a good quarterback, not a very good quarterback. I overlapped in Cleveland with Kyle though. And I know that Kyle thinks, and this is even before what he's done the last couple of years, he thinks very, very highly of Kirk. So I wouldn't do that. If you asked me to predict, will they do it? I'm a little more thinking it's possible, but not probable. Um, then maybe you are. I mean, listen, everybody in the league who really knows what they're doing knows if once you have a good quarterback, you always have a chance. You have a chance to be really good. Without it, it's really, really hard to be good. No one's saying it never happens, but it's really, really hard. So what would you give up? I mean, listen, look what the Eagles traded for Wentz. Look what the Rams traded for Goff. It's if interesting. You know that, if you know that Cousins is good and Wentz and Golf were projections, no matter how confident you are, they're projections. So if you're Kyle Shanahan and you think you know Cousins is really good, which I know he really thinks, and I'm telling you he really thinks, you know, then what's he worth? I mean, the Eagles gave up, used up more than two ones and a two and some other picks to get him. And the Rams did the same. So what is he worth? Now obviously the big difference as you just said is he starts right away making a ton of money right. where Wentz doesn't make any real money for four years. And that gets factored into the value in a trade. But I'm a little torn knowing how much Kyle likes him and know how much he believes you have to have a good quarterback to win. I'm not prepared to kind of rule out that it could happen.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I mean uh What's interesting to me is, and, and we don't have a timetable, but, you know, Cousins ran in and signed his tender last year, hasn't done so this year. I made the point that I think Cousins is his niceness, such a sweet-natured guy, hurts him because mm-hmm. the guys that teams react to are the guys that agree, you know, squeaky wheels. And yeah. we'll see if Cousins, you know, he he's appears he's not going to miss any time. He's going to be a good soldier. But if he takes a different attitude, that may change things.
0: Remember something, too. By the way, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah. Cousins has said the only team that he wants to go to and the only team he would negotiate a long-term contract with ahead of time is the San Francisco. Remember something. He signs the tender. He loses control of that decision. Right. If they turned around and traded him to Cleveland or Chicago and that's, he didn't want to go there, I mean, if Cleveland decided, listen, you know what? We're going to trade for him. And once he gets there, he's going to realize that this is a good place, we're on the right track, we're going to win, and then he'll sign a long-term deal. If they're willing to take that chance, then once he signs the tender, he's at risk if the if the Browns are actually willing to take that chance. He's at risk of going someplace he doesn't want to go. So my guess is the reason that they're not signing the tender as quickly uh, is because he wants to make sure he doesn't take any chance that he can get traded someplace he doesn't want to go.
1: Yeah, and I think we probably got a deadline on that too, because you know I don't think there's anything he can do with the Redskins, even if he was under contract till like April 10th. So, uh, so we'll see. I mean, the off-season workout program starts before the draft, so we'll see. Yep. Any other uh, players that jump out at you as? First-day free agents, and wow, we are going to wow at their contracts. Just a, a name to keep an eye on or a situation to keep an eye on, and, and then yeah. I want to ask you about a couple quarterbacks.
0: The thing that's intriguing me at the moment is the um, appearance, and we'll know this better in a couple of days, but I say this with some uh, reliability, um, the appearance that a couple of older players, I think Calais Campbell, and Whitworth, tackle who's been with the uh, Bengals for a while, uh, he's 35 years old. And Campbell's 30, which is considered fairly old for a defensive tackle, not like he's done, but, you know, he's, I think they both yeah. need to get really big contracts. Really? Yeah, we haven't really seen that. I mean, they're both good players. They both play impact positions. But usually, age has kind of put a governor on just kind of how high those deals will go. But I think we're going to see both those guys get a lot more money than we've seen players that age get in the past. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if Whitworth double digits. By that, I mean 10 million dollars yeah. or more per year at at 35 years old, unheard of. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Campbell is 12, 13 million dollars. Mm-hmm. They're like nothing, you know, at 30 years old, and probably with a contract that is likely to keep them for at least three years if they structure it right. So that's the thing that uh, appears more interesting to me than the anticipated, you know, market that are really blowing up, which is absolutely going to happen.
1: A couple of uh, longtime vets that names are synonymous with their franchises. Give me a quick take on each of them. Uh, start with Adrian Peterson where you think he's, you know, where his market is, where you think he might end up? I think his market
0: is very, very modest with some intense incentives. Um, I think speculation around Oakland makes some sense, and I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up back in Minnesota with a much different contract than he had. Tony Romo. I think Tony's going to get cut, which is what they should do and what he should want. Right. And I think it's either Denver or Houston. Jamal Charles? You know, you've got a running back at this point that I don't think will be perceived as an every-down back. He's going to be a third-down back. Uh, you know, people are speculating the Eagles, but I think they have Darren Sproles, which I think is what Charles is at this point. Right. So I think some team that uh, has that role... You know, Spoles was in New Orleans before that. You know, he was in San Diego before that, so there's coaches out there that have had that kind of guy. But very modest money. Very, very modest money. Um and you know, he's he's not gonna be highly sought after. He's gonna have to find a spot.
1: Yeah, I mean all these guys we're talking about lowered expectations from where they were even a couple of years ago.
0: Another name, Jay Cutler. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I just did an interview and was asked, where do I think he'll start? And I said, why are you assuming he'll be a starter?
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't see. I mean, I go through the list. I look at the teams. I look at the 32 teams. I'm like, who could start him? Maybe if San Diego misses out. I mean, uh, maybe if San Francisco misses out on all the other options. I don't think so, but maybe. I don't believe the Jets. That's just not the way they've been thinking or acting about the quarterback. They've been oriented towards strong leaders and really smart guys. Those. You know, Jay's strength is his throwing ability, not the other stuff. Um, I have a hard time finding a place where I think he's going to be the starter. And listen, I mean, he's one of these guys, I don't need to be too harsh, but I think you fool yourself into thinking you've solved the problem. I mean, I don't think he's a quarterback you're going to bring in and be relaxed. Okay, we're good to go with this spot now. He's still got a big question mark in my mind.
1: Yeah, and from a quarterback that seems to have no market to one that hasn't played much but seems to have a strong market, who may replace Cutler in in Chicago, and that's Mike Lennon. Uh, Seems to have a strong market out there.
0: So here's what's interesting to me. When I stopped working in the league and I started talking to agents and sharing kind of notes about things, the thing that was the most surprising to me was to find out how often the agent actually only has one team. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) You you don't know that when you're on the other side, but the reality in the end is how many times you're offering X and Y and real money and you're actually not bidding against anybody. I, you know, I think it's real that the Bears are very interested in the guy. I'm not sure who they're dating against other than teams that would take him as a backup. So right, you really start, start to look at who are these mind. teams that need quarterbacks. You know, listen, the, the 49ers, but I doubt they're in that market. The Jets, I doubt they're in that market. The Bears and the Browns, I doubt any of them are in that market. I mean, beyond the Bears, obviously. So if I was back to working, knowing what I know now about how often the agent actually only has one guy, I would be trying to really be careful in my negotiation if I was the Bears and sniff that out and make sure I wasn't paying some guy who's barely played $15 million a year when I was the only bidder. I mean, I'd be scared to death of being in that position. I'm not a huge Glennon fan. I don't think he has no chance. I don't look at him and think he's just a bust, but... You know, if Tyrod Taylor became available and I had a choice between Tyrod Taylor and Brennan, I'd actually take Tyrod Taylor.
1: Yeah, that was my next question. Do you think Buffalo cut him loose?
0: I think they're making a huge mistake if they do. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, you've been the champion of this. Most of these deals, the team is forced only for a couple of years to keep the player. I think, in fact, they end up keeping them longer than that, a very high percentage of the time. But the truth is, at the end of two years, that's not really their their choice. So... You know, the Bills don't have a solution to quarterback for this year. So it's a little bit back to the uh, conversation we had about the Redskins. Right. So what are they, they're they really risking that by year two they found a replacement, Taylor's not the guy, and they've got some money locked in there. I mean, that risk is well worth it. I think he's a solid starting quarterback. He's not going to carry the team. But he's a solid starting quarterback, and they're on his rights for the next five years. And an average of $15 a year. It's not going to be long before that's actually just very good backup money. So I would think it would be a huge mistake if they were to let him go now instead of saying, you know what, we're a year to two from finding the next guy. This guy at least allows us to be competitive. I actually think he's better than that, but their actions indicate they don't think so. So even if he's just a bridge that gives him a chance to stay highly competitive over the next year or two, I just think they'd make a terrible mistake, and I think he'd get scooped up very quickly.
1: Agreed. And a couple, a couple receivers as we finish up here. You mentioned one that just seems to be injured and, and steroid suspensions, but seems to always have a big market now. Not franchise tagged, Alshon Jeffrey.
0: I think he still gets a very big deal. I mean, the new top of the market of wide receivers is seventeen. Wow. There's a whole group of really good receivers at 14 and 15. I think he has a real chance to be in that or very close to that 14 or 15. But I don't think he starts to, uh, you know, earlier before the suspension, people are talking about resetting the market, you know, maybe because he's the first guy to be totally free in a few years. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen at this point.
1: How about our old friend Deshaun Jackson?
0: It's the clock that just keeps ticking. He can still run. He can still run. And he's little, but he's tough. He's not a little guy you worry about sending over the middle. Yeah. He's going to get a big contract. I mean, by that, I think he's definitely going to be over $10 million per year. Wow. And, uh, you know, I think if he can stay healthy, he's still in a position to be a big help to whoever signs him. I'm not sure. That you can count on his health. He's always had some injuries each year, and now he's getting older. And as you've said before, you don't get less injured as you get older; you get more injured. Yeah. So I'd be a little nervous about him, but I think the market is there, and there's a number of teams interested.
1: Yeah, and then on speaking of little receivers, one that's way out there in trade talks, and you know my radar, as yours, I think, is like Brandon Cooks of the Saints, young, ascending, cheap player. Like, my radar is like, what's wrong with him? You know, why is yeah. he out there? Uh, and it's going to take a lot to get him, it sounds like. Well, it should. Yeah.
0: You know, listen, the, the the scary part is small guy. And, you know, you worry of the stats inflated by how much they throw the ball and being with Breeze. But, you know, a lot of teams are finding it very, very hard to find really, really fast young guys. <laughs> And, uh, you know, speed and height are the two things you want to find in wide receivers. He doesn't have the height, but the speed, he's as good as anybody out there.
1: Yeah.
0: So um, there is a little kind of why is he out there, and as you know, sometimes that affects you a little bit psychologically. But, you know, there's a lot of evidence he's a very good player. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a huge believer in giving a – and if smart, a contract, so I'm not a huge believer in giving up picks and – a big contract at the same time, unless it's a really unusual player. I'm not sure for me, he reaches a level of really unusual player, but he's a very good player.
1: Yeah. And unlike some of those free agents you talked about that may only have one team, you know, we've got rumors out there that that the saints have turned down a number one from the Patriots and who knows if that's true or not, but it sounds like they have real leverage in the trade, trade talks.
0: Well, you know, we haven't had a really top wide receiver trade in a while, but if you go back to the, uh, Galloway's and Roy Williams. Yeah. and it, I mean, we've seen good starting wide receivers get traded for a lot. I mean, a lot more than made sense to me at the time, but not that long. And I'm sure the Saints are sitting there on the phone with people going, look at, look at how much this guy got. Look at how much this guy got. My guy's younger. He's caught more balls. Right. Um, so there's, there's a good argument for the Saints to make to get a lot of compensation for him. I don't know that it will prove to be smart depending upon how far you've got to go, but it, I think the market is going to be significant. Before I let I you do go, I think, by the well, way, ahead, he gets, I think in the end, he gets traded for whatever the best offer is. I don't think this is one where you, despite what they're saying, I don't think this is one where you put out feelers, listen to offers, and decide to bring them back. I think he is not going to be a saint next year. The only question is,
1: where is he? I totally agree. When this stuff's out there, I think it's already done. Not yep. done in terms of the trade, but like that relationship's gone. It's over. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Once it yeah. gets out like that, yeah. And I know we've been. This has been great. One last thing: I'd be remiss if not talking to you about another receiver uh, who's long, long retired. Uh, but Terrell Owens not getting in the Hall of Fame. I did a podcast with Domowich, Paul Domowich, Philadelphia Daily News, the Philadelphia representative in the room. And, you know, he talked about what everyone heard about, kind of a team disruptor. Uh, You know, I think putting in my personal feelings, putting in a lot of subjective judgment into an otherwise Hall of Fame worthy receivers. You have special insight into Terrell Owens and your thoughts about him being denied in the Hall of Fame and whether you would
0: take the same position. You know, here's my answer. I've actually been called by a number of people. Interesting, by the way, a number of the voters called me before the vote and asked me for my opinion and also asked me for some of the specifics of what actually went on in Philadelphia. I don't have an opinion on whether he should be in the Hall of Fame because I don't have any clear understanding of how much beyond physical ability and talent on the field should matter. I'm just not close enough to it to have an opinion on that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there is enough there that depending upon how much weight that gets put on, you could come down in my mind, and decide he deserves it anyway, or you could decide he didn't deserve it. And those would be legitimate. I don't think there's any argument that if it isn't for your own opinion, that those things should count a lot, there's any legitimate argument whatsoever about whether he should be in the hall of fame. If we're just talking about the talent. So I think each individual voter and the people that asked me even before the vote, I said, I don't have an opinion. I'm not going to give an opinion. I mean, you've been in this. You've had the rules explained to you. You know, you have to decide after you hear all that, do I think it's a 5% factor, a 1% factor, a 35% factor, and then decide how to vote. Um, So... I I honestly don't have, I'm not on either side, even though I lived through the whole two years. I made the trade with San Francisco. I did the contract. I went through the grievance. I went through the suspensions. I went through the training camp meetings that, you know, have all been, you know, the the details of every word spoken in them hasn't been revealed, but the existence of them has been. Um, So I have a, a lot of experience and firsthand insight on, you know, to what degree the problems existed and what's legitimate and what's not. But I I don't know the details enough about how much of that really matters. A lot, a little, barely at all. And I think it's really up to each voter to research what actually happened in each place that he was at and whether they want to put a little weight on that or a lot of weight on that.
1: Well, I'm a lawyer, you know, and to me it's all slippery slope. It's like, whoa, you know, Randy Moss is coming up. Randy Moss Mm -hmm. has been on five teams and— You and I were in the league when Randy Moss was put up for a fire sale by the Raiders. We were looking at that. He ended up going for a fourth to the uh, Patriots. I mean, what about that? I mean, it just seems like where do you you draw the line if a guy's just a diva but not a disruptor? I mean, that's tough.
0: Well, here's the only thing I would say to that. Even the decision on talent is an individual decision of where do you draw the line. So if the rules, and this is what I don't know, allow there to be two criteria versus just one criteria on where do, you do the draw the line, then, you know, the voters have to decide in both columns, so to speak. Right. You know, where do I draw the line? Um, but I don't know that unless you're actually reading the rules, listening to the instructions, knowing the history of the debates... You know, how fair is it to put, again, a little weight in that, a lot of weight in that, no weight in that? I really don't have any perspective to evaluate that. But the people that are in the room are mostly people that have been there a long time and have heard the detailed explanation as to how, you know, what they're supposed to base their judgment on. And then they should hopefully do the right research on, you know, what's real, what's perceived, what really happened. Um, you know, T.O. to this day feels like he was the victim most of the time as opposed to the instigator. You know, if you're going to vote on this and factor that in, you should do some research to develop your own opinion on that and decide how much weight you want to put into it. I can tell you this the first time, you know, we got him, we acquired him, we were very excited, we thought he was a really good player. The first time I went out on the practice field, and I'm sure you've had this experience, even amongst, I mean, we were a team coming off a championship game. And had returned almost the entire team. And even amongst that, the second you saw him on the field doing anything, (laughs) you immediately realized he was at another level. Right. I mean, I've only had a couple of players that I've seen that you can just walk on a practice field, and as soon as they start doing things, you're just going, wow, this guy's at another level. And I had that experience the first time I walked out on the practice field after we acquired T.L. Yeah,
1: and I had it with Charles Woodson. Same thing. (laughs) You yeah. come out there and you go, oh my God! It's our best player right yeah. away, immediately.
0: Not even there's no contact,
1: there's no nothing. Yeah, it's just so obvious. It's interesting. Those two are now together on that ESPN uh, Monday Night mm-hmm. Show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're special talents. Yeah, and so are you, Joe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, when it flew by, it's just like uh, friends talking, going inside football. I hope you. Re- I hope that uh, listeners appreciate it, enjoy it. Always great to have you on. Talk to you soon, my friend. Look forward to it. Take it easy. All right, Joe. Thanks
0: for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.